Let's pray. Father, thank you for this new day, new week, new beginning. Pray that you would instruct us now and help us to grow in our understanding of you and of ourselves and of the world we live in. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Over the past few weeks, there's been discussion about uh, commemorating uh, the uh, women's right, the 100th anniversary of women's right to vote in America and changing the face on the $20 bill uh, from uh, Andrew Jackson to someone else. And I'm not even sure who was selected to somebody Harry know. Huh? Harry Cutman. But one of the top contenders, I think top two, was Margaret Sanger, uh, founder of Planned Parenthood. I just want to go back a few comments about her in this discussion of the ethics of evolutionary philosophy. Um, Secretary of State Hillary Clinton accepted the Margaret Sanger Award at the 2009 Planned Parenthood Gala in Houston, Texas. And here's what she said, I admire Margaret Sanger enormously, her courage, her tenacity, her vision. I am really in awe of her. There are a lot of lessons we can learn from her life. Well, I can agree with the last part of that statement. There are a lot of lessons we can learn from her life. And uh, it led me to just give some thought to where did the idea of progressive politics come from? The idea of progressivism. What is that notion? What are we progressing toward? Well, that's very much an evolutionary notion. The idea that we have to go somewhere, we have to get somewhere from where we are, we have to, to make progress. And of course, the problem with evolutionary ethics and with Darwin's view of things uh, is that there is no definition of what progress is. Whatever is, is, is. There's no ought to it, there's no destination. Where is it we're headed to? There is this assumption that somehow we're headed toward perfection and utopia. Evolution has no concern about perfection. It has no concern, period, because it's not a person. It has no desires. It has no goals. It is a process, if, if it is anything. But a process uh, doesn't get you anywhere. Uh, we can get the car and drive and drive, and drive, and I could call you up and say, are you making progress? And you couldn't answer unless you knew where you were going. You would say, yes, I am, or no, I'm not. I'm further away from where I'm trying to get to, or I'm lost, or I, yes, I'm closer to where I'm trying to go. All you can say is, I'm driving. And if we tried to step on the gas and say, well, let's drive faster, let's make more progress, then, again, without knowing where we're going, that may just run us off the edge of the cliff. And a lot of what we see with progressive politics is the, simply the social application of evolution, the philosophy of evolution. And we see it in the area of economics, we see it in the area of, obviously, biology, but also in education, uh, in politics, and really psychology, uh, across the board, we see this idea that we can help the, the process of evolution to make progress 
because we know what, what, is, what the goal is. We have made assumptions about what the goal is. Well, let's back up and talk about two key historical figures that are related, uh, connected, if you will, and their connection will be Darwinian evolutionary philosophy. Margaret Sanger was an influential proponent of, we talked about this last time, eugenics, uh, the idea of not just natural selection, but uh, directed selection. We're going to help this process along. We're not going to wait for nature to take its course. Nature is too slow. And so we're going to get involved and help this process along, and particularly when it comes to producing a better human being. So much so, she was so much a proponent of it that she attracted Adolf Hitler's attention. Her idea of birth control through abortion was, was not so much to help women in general as it was aimed at reducing the birth rates of the colored and the poor, thereby to improve the genetic qualities of the survivors. We need to get rid of the unfit, those who are further down the evolutionary scale in order to allow those who are higher up the evolutionary scale to progress even faster. She eventually changed the name of her organization from, originally it was the American Birth Control League, to Planned Parenthood Federation of America, mainly because the predominance of the eugenics promoted by her, her organization made her made his goals look very much like Hitler's racism. And so it wasn't a good stance to take at the time. It wasn't uh, politically expedient. Sanger was not, however, was not one for subtlety in these matters. She bluntly defined birth control, a term that she coined, as, quote, the process of weeding out the unfit, aimed at the creation of a superman. She often expressed her view that, quote, the most merciful thing that the large family does to one of its infant members is to kill it. Maybe we could put that on the $20 bill, too. And she said, all of our problems are the result of overbreeding among the working class. Sanger frequently featured racist and eugenicists in her magazine. The magazine was called the Birth Control Review. Contributor Lothrop Stoddard, who also served on Sanger's board of directors, wrote in a, an article titled, The Rising Tide of Color against white world supremacy. And he said this, we must resolutely oppose both Asiatic premutation of white race areas and Asiatic inundation of those non-white but equally non-Asiatic regions inhabited by the really inferior races. Each issue of the birth control review was packed with such ideas, but Sanger wasn't uh, content merely to publish this racist propaganda. The magazine also made concrete policy proposals. Remember, ideas have consequences. Such as the creation of, quote, moron communities, the forced production of children by the fit, and the compulsory sterilization and even elimination of the unfit. 
Sanger's own racist views were no less shameful. In 1939, she and Clarence Gamble made an infamous proposal called Birth Control and the Negro. That was the article, the proposal, which asserted that, quote, the poorer areas, particularly in the South, are producing alarmingly more than their share of future generations. Her, quote, religion of birth control would, she wrote, quote, ease the financial load of caring for, with public funds, children destined to become a burden to themselves, to their family, and ultimately to the nation. War with Germany combined with the lurid tales of how the Nazis were putting their theories about human weeds and genetically inferior races into practice panicked Sanger into changing her organization's name and rhetoric. Quote, birth control with its undertone of coercion became the much softer sounding family planning. Remember, everybody's trying to sell you something. Don't believe every package. Don't believe everything that someone says. Uh, words are chosen very carefully in order to get you to buy into something. The unfit and the dysgenic became merely the poor. The American Birth Control League became the Unplanned Parenthood Federation of America. Sounds very patriotic, doesn't it? Well, evolutionary explanations turn out to be highly fashionable for all kinds of sins. Not long ago, Time Magazine cover story proclaimed, quote, infidelity, is it in your genes? The story purported to give, quote, reasons why our alleged evolutionary history has programmed us to cheat on our spouses. But it's not just adultery. Cheating at school, ruthlessness in business, it's easy to explain in evolutionary terms. Survival of the most cunning and the merciless ape man or hunter-gatherer cave dweller. But the problem for evolution's true believer is that it's just as easy to find a story to explain the opposite behavior. So, for example, caring and sharing ape man uh, enhance the whole group's survival, and so such genes are more likely to be passed on. So in other words, no matter what happens, no matter how a person behaves, it's always an example of how, look, evolution has caused us to do this. And if you want to see an example of that, watch any nature show. Okay, you'll see the, the fish, you're watching the screen, and you can't see anything, and all of a sudden this fish pops out, and it's so perfectly camouflaged, and they say, uh, he, evolution has developed this defense mechanism to hide from uh, the, uh, the predators. The next thing, brightly colored fish swimming out in the open. Now, he developed bright colors in order to scare off his prey, uh, because the bright colors apparently scare off prey. In other words, it doesn't matter what they have, whatever it is, it must be, by definition, the result of survival of the fittest. So whether it's uh, bright colors or camouflage or any other, any other thing always becomes the explanation. And if you murder somebody, uh, if you wiped out all the competition, that's survival of the fittest, or if you 
developed a caring, loving community that nurtured everybody, that's also evidence of evolution. As has often been pointed out then, this theory is so flexible that it can be used to explain almost any outcome, but in reality it explains nothing. That's why evolutionary psychology fads make some psychiatrists remember when their profession and society's intelligentsia were in the grip of Freudian explanations for virtually all behavior. It's interesting, you know, Freudian psychology is, is kind of part of the lingo uh, now, but Freudian psychology nowadays is pretty much considered a pseudoscience. But at the time, of course, it was the hottest, latest thing. I assure you that the things that, re that have replaced a good bit of Freudian psychology are just as out there and ridiculous in many ways. Uh, but, you know, that's the nature of fads. The symptoms are the same. Refusing to be guided by God's word, people sought an alternative, some kind of all-encompassing explanation for the discordant feelings and behavior that is shared by humanity as a result of the fall. Everybody knows something wrong. So what do we do about it? How do we explain it? Freud's framework seemed all-powerful, explaining everything about behavior, until some started to realize that this was, in fact, its weakness. And so again, it is today regarded as a pseudoscience. Like evolution, everything seemed to fit, because the worldview glasses through which all the evidence was interpreted were evolutionary in nature. You know, here's, here's your problem. You inherited these guilt feelings. You have an Oedipus complex. Um, you, and we could, uh, it, it seems silly to even repeat certain Freudian concepts and terminology. I have a degree in psychology, so I, I remember going through all the psychosexual development phases of, of Freudian psychology, and uh, uh, some of it is... It seems silly now, but it's taken very, you say it, you say it with a very serious look on your face, and, and you have a PhD to go with it, you can make it sound very clever. Um, and uh, the only thing I ever got from Freud was cigar envy. But uh, if you've ever seen a picture of uh, Freud, but that's another story for another day. Um, let the hearer understand. Um, so, um, by undermining the idea of absolute standards for behavior, nobody made us, nobody owns us, nobody has a right uh, to set any unchanging rules, evolutionary thinking has already had a devastating impact on our culture. If your fundamental assumption is, again, nobody made us, nobody gets to tell us what to do, and we're in some kind of a process that we get to define, Sounds like we're our, our own God. And therefore, we need to make the rules, set the goals, and do whatever it takes to get there. Now, the atrocities that resulted in the deaths of thousands uh, in the World Trade Center terrorist acts brought to light how wicked human beings can be to one another. And there's, in fact, human history is just one long story of misery and ugliness. Uh, we, we sometimes, I think as Christians, living in a, in a Christian culture like we do here, sometimes very, very isolated from the harsh realities of a very, very vicious, vicious world. 
Society's laws are being violated now at an ever-increasing rate as evidenced by the rapid expansion of police forces, uh, the proliferation of all kinds of security devices and services to protect life and property. We're having conversations about such things that we wouldn't have thought of having uh, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Clearly our social ethics if evolution has been in, in gear here now since Darwin, our social ethics have not kept pace with our incredible achievements in science and technology. What about the ethics? How come, how come we haven't made the progress that uh, was proclaimed? Social reform, and I mean, you understand that when Dewey, John Dewey came along, he predicted that if, if we could have public schools and have control of raising children, in a, you know, forced uh, attendance and participation in the public school that we can eliminate all prisons in a pretty short order, in a, in a generation or two. Not to mention all the health benefits and happy families and happy children and good citizens. Clearly our social ethics then have not kept pace. Social reform and massive government spending on new ideas to cure social ills. Remember the war on poverty from the 60s? How's, how's that going? Um, it was doomed to failure in the long run as societies shift away from God-based concepts uh, continues. Why is this? Well, just as with, again, motorists who slow down when faced with a speeding fine, society tends to become more responsible when, as individuals, we are accountable to someone. However, the idea that as human beings we are accountable to the creator of our actions and will face a judgment for them has become old-fashioned. We're very modern now. We're very scientific. We know. We have discovered the truth. Now, I remember in a sociology, well, a sociology class, but also a, I had a, an English teacher, one of my favorites in college, and I remember her coming in one day from, and she was livid. She'd gone to the library, and she went to get a book that she needed. She turned to the page that she was looking for, and somebody had taken a knife or a razor blade and cut out an article and taken it and put the book back on the shelf. And she was just living. And I asked her, why? What are you upset about? Somebody wanted it. They took it. Who's to say? Who's to say that's wrong? Is it, is it truth relative? In fact, at the time, there was a phrase going around in college and, and in, in the public school system that just generally uh, called values clarification. I said, what happened is somebody took the sociology class that taught them about values clarification, and they clarified their values with a razor blade in the library. Now, they're not your values. Why should, they have, why should their values be your values? You're personally upset. You personally don't like it. Now, I wasn't lecturing her like this. We were friends and having this, and she, she realized, that, yeah, I see the connection here, that you can't teach students these things and then expect that there are no consequences. Don't be surprised at what you get. In fact, if you don't like what's going on now politically or anything else, that didn't come out of nowhere. That came out of our churches and our schools 
and, and our whole system that has taught several generations that you do what you want to do. <coughs> it takes a while for the revolution to uh, get uh, a firm root. Um, the idea that we are, as human beings are accountable to the Creator for our actions and will face judgment for them, again, has become old-fashioned. Constant bombardment via schools and the media with evolutionary notions that we are simply the result of a cosmic accident that has, this has persuaded many that there is no higher being they are accountable to. Mankind is not responsible to anyone, and that is the evolutionary view. There will be no accounting for our actions during or after life here on earth. No accountability at all. If you can escape going to jail, and, and maybe the, you know, some temporary consequences that are unpleasant to you, and just make it to the end, then you're off the hook. <coughs> However, according to the Bible, the day is coming when all of us will stand before God and be judged for our actions while we lived on earth, and no one will escape. That's a radically different perspective that produces a radically different ethic. What a difference it makes when people believe that we will be called upon to give an account of ourselves for every situation. Jesus said, Matthew 12, But I say to you that every idle word, whatever men may speak, they shall give an account for it in the day of judgment. When the Nazis during World War II carried out their brutal reign of terror upon innocent Jews, would they have done so if they had truly believed that they would reap recompense? for those actions. Many of them did that because they would reap rewards. They got jobs. They had they rose in the ranks. Uh, the more ruthless, the more likely they were to get promoted. The Nazis had been taught that evolution was true and involved the concept of survival of the fittest and elimination of the weak, and they were determined to actually apply this to real life. It wasn't just a theory in the classroom. The ardent evolutionist Sir Arthur Keith, although an anti-Nazi, commented on Hitler's evolutionary stance, and he said this, The German Fuhrer, as I have consistently maintained, is an evolutionist. He has consciously sought to make the practice of Germany conform to the theory of evolution. The bloodthirsty regimes of Hitler and Stalin both based their philosophies on evolutionary principles. You may have seen a, another one of these um, essays in the Sentinel. So I don't guess too many people read the Sentinel anymore, but uh, um, these assertions that somehow uh, atheists and evolutionists have produced a better, more peaceful world has overlooked the hundreds of millions of people who have been slaughtered by governments like Hitler and Stalin and Mao and many, many others. All in the name of survival of the fittest and making progress. You know, you got to crack a few eggs to make an omelet. By the way, you're the eggs. Injustice, cruelty, and merciless brutality were backed up by the ultimate evolutionary notion that all things made themselves and that there is no higher authority which we must obey. Evolutionist and zoologist Professor Ernst Hankel, whose fraudulent drawings of embryos, you've all seen them, right? 
You got this series of embryos that are developing, uh, and they continue to be featured in textbooks, and whose influence lays much of the foundation for Hitler's Germany, argued in his book, Natural History of Creation, that, quote, the church, with its morality of love and charity, is an effete fraud, a perversion of the natural order. He said this was because Christianity, quote, makes no distinction of race or or of color. It seeks to break down all racial barriers. In this respect, the hand of Christianity is against that of nature. For are not the races of mankind the evolutionary harvest which nature has toiled through long ages to produce? We may not say then that Christianity is... May we not say then that Christianity is anti-evolutionary in its aim? Others have written concerning pre-war Germany. Um, John Whitehead said this, The Jews labeled, were labeled subhumans, became non-beings. It was both legal and right to exterminate them in the collectivist and evolutionist viewpoint. They were not considered persons in the sight of the German government. We've done the same thing with the unborn. We just write a law. We just define, define life this way. You know, that reminds me of uh, something, this is a classic government kind of operation. Amtrak, uh, over the years, their on-time rate uh, got worse and worse. On-time on was defined as 10 minutes either side of a predicted arrival time. So you could be 10 minutes early or 10 minutes late and still be considered on time. But they were getting worse and worse at their own time rate, so you know how you fix that? You redefine on time. Now it's 30 minutes either side of a predicted arrival time. That was easy. Boy, our rates just improved dramatically. And, you know, this is, uh, this is done all the time. Um, there's the old uh, in statistics, you know, uh, there's statistics. Um, how that go? Statistics. Uh, lies. Huh? Yeah. What is it? Lies, damn lies, and statistics. Lies, damn lies, and statistics. Yeah. So those are worse. So. Uh, um, how different to the Bible, God's standards are love and kindness toward one another, to the weak, to the orphan, to the needy, to the poor. In Romans 13, if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love works no ill to its neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. The concepts of right and wrong must have, have an ultimate basis from which to appeal, or else they become simply relative to the culture. This is what we're seeing happen today in Western culture. The Bible teaches that God, the Creator, made men and women in His own image. And the experience, and He made them for each other. And the experience confirms that we are made for each other. Physically, emotionally, this was the Creator's intention and plan. And any deviation from it is outside the created order. So it has been until very recent times when backed up by evolutionary so-called science, the concept of homosexual acts being wrong has been changed. And you don't have to go very far back uh, to uh, 
the diagnostics uh, statistical manual, even in the 70s, was clearly still labeling such things as deviant behavior. Um, but now, of course, it's been normalized, much like the on-time rate. I will just redefine this. Now they're promoted as neither right or wrong, but a choice. And of course, in an evolutionary world, everything is a choice. That's what it's all about. And unless one appeals to a creator who sets the absolute laws for life, who can say, who's to say that that's incorrect? If there is no creator who's made us and who sets the rules, then all of our morals, all of our ideas of what is right or wrong are simply subjective. What we ourselves decide. Again, we're back to the garden, right? We'll determine good and evil for ourselves. When a partner cheats on another in marriage, who's to say that's wrong? What's wrong? When a person murders another or steals what belongs to someone else, on what basis is it wrong? What if we just had a majority decide that, uh, you know, we would take their stuff? Would that be okay? If most of us agreed that was a good idea? Oh, well, that's what government does pretty regularly, right? You, we can spend that money better than you can, hand it over, or else. And we're serious about it. We'll take everything you've got. We'll put you in jail. We will do whatever we need to insist that you do what we say, that you implement our, you pay for the programs that we've decided are good for you. So this is not theory, folks. This is, this is the world we live in, too. Increasingly, uh, we're seeing it in a pervasive kind of way. Um, if evolution is true, then one person killing another is no different than a lion killing an antelope. A fact of life, survival of the fittest, because man has no place of honor among the animal kingdom, aside from what we've attributed to ourselves. How different from the Bible, wherein our creator says, creator says that we are special and above all else that he created. Therefore, do not fear, Jesus said, you are of more value than many sparrows. Evolutionists invent all sorts of complicated explanations uh, to account for why evolution can give rise to altruism. Uh, considered, being considered, self-sacrificing. You've got to be careful when you listen to these arguments. Uh, this is very common if you're debating or discussing with an atheist over this issue of ethics. They will protest very loudly. Are you saying that all atheists are, are just evil and all Christians are good? No. Are you saying atheists cannot be good or do good? Not at all. You see, my worldview can account for that. You're made in the image of God. His law is written in your heart. I do believe it's innate in that sense that you know the difference between right and wrong and that you see the benefits in doing good and that you have kindness and tenderness and all that. But your worldview cannot account for that, cannot explain that. Nor does it have any basis for judging someone else if they make a different choice. You may choose uh, to be the kindest, most gracious person ever, you may give all your money to charity, you may do all these things, but you really have nothing to say to someone who does the opposite, who's vicious. You can say, I don't prefer that, but you may not say that's wrong. You have no basis for declaring it to be wrong. Well, everybody agrees. No, first of all, everybody doesn't. That person doesn't. 
And second, what difference does that make? They may not all agree next week or next year. Apparently we had a whole bunch of people agreeing in Germany at some point about what needed to be done with certain class classes of people. Did that make it right at the time? In this influx? Kindness and love towards others are among the hallmarks of biblical codes of life, of biblical codes of life, and it's not dependent on the giver receiving any benefit from the act. Evolution is a blind concept built on chance, random events, with no purpose other than, supposedly, to benefit the propagation of your genes. In fact, there is now the declaration that really the issue is that your genes themselves are selfish. Book out called the selfish gene that all genes care about is reproducing, and they'll do whatever it takes to reproduce. If not, no one's ever answered the question of why reproducing matters. Why is that a good thing? Why is that a desirable thing? See, anytime there's a why question, there's a big empty zero uh, response because there is there's no possible answer to that. It does not know the end from the beginning. It incorporates, and by the way, couldn't we just blow up tomorrow anyway? Couldn't there be some cosmic explosion that just wipes every bit of life out instantly? It incorporates the idea of survival of the fittest and the weak dying out and being exterminated to make way for the strong to survive, and love is generally contrary to that. Kindness that in, in, uh, infers no benefit upon the one giving it makes little sense if evolution is true. Kill or be killed. Missionaries helping the poor in the third world countries are completely wasting their time if evolution is true. They are actually working against the natural order uh, by their efforts to support individuals or groups that cannot survive by themselves. Under this truth, as evolutionists really know it, the weak, hungry, and incapacitated ought to be allowed to perish if they cannot survive under their own strength. Darwin himself lamented uh, the foolishness of society for caring for, quote, weak members and thus allowing them, he said, quote, to propagate their kind with undoubtedly bad effects. He said, quote, that accepting in the case of man himself, hardly anyone is so ignorant as to allow his worst animals to breed. In a debate between two evolutionists, John Lanier, a computer scientist, said, there's a large group of people who simply are uncomfortable with accepting evolution because it leads to what they perceive to be a moral vacuum in which their best impulses have no basis in nature. And Richard Dawkins current or the popular atheist of our age, who is a professor at Oxford University, said this, all I can say is, that's just tough. We have to face up to the truth. So, consistent evolutionists to acknowledge what their philosophy is really saying, know that an evolutionary worldview is devoid of absolute morals. Father, we thank you for your word that enlightens us.
that gives us a lovely, hopeful, promising view of the future. Because you are at work in recovering and repairing and redeeming this fallen world. Help us, Lord, to be informed, to be gracious, but courageous. Bless us now as we prepare for worship in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.